Thank you, Ellen. I invite you to stand if you're comfortable doing so as we begin our time of worship, as we sing praises, Almighty, followed by How Great is Our God. Thank you. 
Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you for taking the time to come to this morning. And I hope you're ready to worship, sing songs of the great faith, look at the scripture, and let God speak to you in a mighty way. That's certainly what my desire is. And I believe that if we do that, and if we pray, and if we listen, God will speak powerfully through his word today to each and every one of us. If this is your very first time to be here, we'd love to be able to correspond with you. If you just take the guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out, drop it in one of the offering plates or the offering boxes when you leave, we would certainly appreciate that. wonder if you might join me in prayer, and let's continue our time of worship and celebration. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come this morning. And I know for, uh, for numbers of people, it was great effort. And we thank you for that effort, for taking the time. Because, God, you are worth it. You're a God who is above all gods. You are the creator of all. Father, we, as your people, those that you have spoken into existence, those that you have created, we humbly come and offer you praise that only you are worthy of. And so this morning, from the depths of our heart, I pray each and every one of us, as we sing the songs of the faith, as we hear what your word says, that, Father, it will be a genuine, sincere time of worship. And with anticipation of our experiencing you this morning, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. When he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace.
praise your holy name. You have blessed us beyond measure, and we thank you for it. We come to you in reverence and with praise. We come to you also with the assurance, as given in your word, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. We assemble to hear your holy word proclaimed this very day. May we always be mindful of your presence. Keep us near the cross. Be with our pastor as he gives us your holy word. May our minds and our hearts be receptive to it. Let this morning's service bring us word of your unfailing love, for we have put our trust in you. Show us the way we should go. You are our pillar of support. I ask these things in your Holy Son's name. Amen.
hymn that most of us know and have enjoyed singing. It's a Gaither hymn, The Longer I Serve Him, The Sweeter He Grows. Oh 
Beverly, thank you very much. On the screen, you'll see three verses that the Apostle Paul penned in three different locations as we talk this morning about servants of the Most High. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And then to the church at Ephesus, he writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the music that has inspired us and encouraged us. And I pray that this morning, the songs that we have sung, the words that have come out of our mouths from the depths of our heart, as we focused on servanthood to you, the Almighty. And I pray, God, that we would be mindful of what that means. And I pray that this morning we would be willing to listen to what your word says. And we would embrace and be the people that you have set aside. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak boldly to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I walked through those gates a number of years ago to a prison facility. It was my responsibility that day to go and to speak to a prison fellowship chapel. And as I walked through those gates of the prison and I looked all around, what I saw was concrete buildings everywhere. As we were heading to the, uh, to the chapel, uh, in the faces, the eyes of the men that I looked at was a sense of hopelessness, a sense of lostness, a sense that there was wasted lives. When I entered the, the chapel, I met a gentleman by the name of Mr. Robinson. Mr. Robinson, he had just been transferred from another prison in another state to come to that prison. And as I began talking to Mr. Robinson, I found something totally different than what I had seen outside. Mr. Robinson, he was a man who found Jesus Christ through prison fellowship in the prison that he had come from. His demeanor was completely different. He was given the responsibility to be able to set up for all of the different events that prison fellowship or other Christian events for the inmate uh, they had done. He, he had proven himself. He had been given those kinds of responsibilities. I, as I spoke with him, what I found was that where earlier in his life, his goal was to do things on his own terms. That now, since he found Christ, the Lord Jesus was the highest priority. And here was this man giving all of these responsibilities, even to the point of being able to go and speak to churches with an escort about prison fellowship, giving that kind of freedom, even though he was still a prisoner. But he was free in Christ. He was a humble man. And all he wanted to do in the rest of the days of his life, which would be in prison, was to serve the Lord. 
And I thought to myself, this is pretty amazing. It gave me a different understanding of what it was to be a servant. To want to spend, even if you were in prison, the rest of your life serving the Most High. That might have been what the Apostle Paul indicated. A great servant of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16 when he said, Woe is, if, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. That was the motivating factor. That was the highest direction that he wanted to go. His whole life, his whole priority was to serve Jesus. And I think that the life of the Christian ought to be the same way. The reality is that the life of the Christian belongs to God. And if we do not follow him the way he desires us to follow him, we'll never be at the happiest place in our life. We're most happy, no matter what life circumstances are, when we are following what Jesus wants us to do. So I want to speak about that today. Why do we have to be servants? It has a kind of a, a bad connotation to us in our day. Um, we all have grown up with this idea that we were going to be successful and we were going to be uh, able to accomplish anything that we wanted to be. And the idea of being a servant was never high on that list. And yet, sometimes we think in the spiritual realm, well, it's a different thing, and it is. But I'm not sure that we have embraced completely the idea of servanthood within the spiritual realm. We are servants because we belong to the Most High. And when I use the term belong, I mean that in the sense that we are owned by Him. You say, well, wait a second, that's not what I, that's not what I signed up for. When I gave Jesus my life, I didn't read that in the fine print. Well, you probably didn't. But the reality is, the Scripture is very clear that we are owned by Jesus. Now, to be owned is not bad. It means that God is responsible for my well-being. There's a big difference between being owned by God and being owned by another person. I can trust God. I'm not sure I can trust somebody else. <laughs> and so to be owned by God means that we are under the one who is perfect. The one who spoke everything into existence. The one who has the qualities that define the essence of spiritual life. So I think that that might not be as bad as what sometimes we have in our minds. There are some things involved in that relationship between us belonging to God and Him being our Master. Number one, we are servants. The word means slaves, actually. You go back to the original, that's the idea. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, Paul says, For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. It's the very same word. Has an understanding that 
Once we give our lives to Christ, we become the slave to Christ, the servant of Christ. The Bible says that you are his servant. It indicates a state of being. When I was born, I was born a human being. That was my state of being. I couldn't change that, even if I wanted to. That's just my state of being when I was born. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I became his servant. In that moment, the stewardship of life became a reality. Now, my stewardship focused upon him being the greatest priority in my life. He gave all for me. The idea is that because of that, we're to give our all to him. Now, we're his servants because he bought us. Paul said in the 20th verse of 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. The price was steep. The price was his life. It wasn't a few bucks here or there. It wasn't over a 30-year you know, time frame. It was complete, total commitment on his part. And that's what he did for us. Now some people, when they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're absolutely fine with that because they say, oh, phew, man, I've got my fire insurance, so I know I'm going to heaven, so now I can kind of redirect my focus on what I want to do in life. And yes, yes, you, you have that eternal life if you've genuinely given your life to Christ. But the reality is that when we do, when we give our life to Christ, he expects us to be obedient to him. In some sense, it's uh, like God and the devil were bidding on me on who I was going to serve. And I chose who I wanted to serve. It was going to be one or the other, because I certainly don't serve myself. So in the realm of eternity... It's either God or Satan. That's, that's, that's what our choice is. But just because I choose doesn't change my relationship. You see, a person owned has the power but not the right to do as he or she pleases. I go back to the New Testament. And um, it's a little hard to translate into our, our context today. But the law was that a slave could not run away. And Onesimus was a fugitive slave from his owner Philemon in Colossae. The Apostle Paul knew that Philemon, and knew Philemon, in fact wrote to him, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, and most likely he also knew the slave Onesimus. Because Paul had taught and had led people to the Lord at Colossae. Well, it seemed like Onesimus ran away. Most commentators believe that he accepted Christ after he had run, and that somehow he, uh, he came in contact with the Apostle Paul, whom he knew from Colossae and Paul's time there. And he became a valuable servant to Paul, meaning he was ministering to him. And Paul wrote in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, I am sending him back, who is very dear to my heart, back to you. And so here Paul, because it's the law of the land, is sending Onesimus 
Philemon's slave back to him. And then in verses 17 and 18, he says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Here Paul is making a number of points in Philemon, and if you get a chance, you ought to read that entire passage. Because there are, there are so many different elements that apply to us in our day and time. But I think one of the points that he makes in Philemon is less noticed by most people. He says, though, Onasmus basically had the power to run away, but not the right to. And that's why Paul was sending him back. He was a slave, even though he was a brother in Christ. In our day and time, we probably don't understand that concept. But what Paul was trying to get Philemon to do is look at it from a different perspective. To say, I'm sending him back to you, and, and he's yours. You do what you want to, but let me tell you this. Because he's a brother in Christ, I would heavily encourage you to set him free. That's what Paul's trying to get across. And that would never be able to happen if he was still a fugitive on the run. He had the power to run away, which he did, but not the right. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the power to do our own thing because sometimes we'll say, well, God gave me self-will. I can choose to follow him or not follow him, and that's exactly right. But you're not going to be right smack dab in the middle of what God desires you to do if you just go on your own volition, your own initiative, your own thoughts, your own way. God wants us to hear what he has to say because even though we're his servants, he wants the very best for each one of us. And because he's creator, he knows how to give it to us too. We don't have to search for it like that. Because he bought us, he also has certain rights. Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 14 and verse 8, If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It is as straightforward as it can be. He has rights over us. He has total rights over us. But God calls us servants because we belong to him. Secondly, we're servants because the goal of salvation has always been service to the Most High. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is a marvelous verse. God has already prepared in advance works for each one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ to accomplish and to do. Already. That's what the scripture says. And so, he is counting on you to be faithful servants. This means that service has always been the goal of salvation. And some will say, now wait a second, preacher. Uh, <laughs> My understanding is that the goal of salvation 
was so I could go to heaven. That is definitely a great benefit for accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior and why he died for us so that we could come back, listen, into a right relationship with him. And we come back into a right relationship with him and God's in heaven because wherever, wherever God is, that's heaven. Then we're going to be with him. So that's an automatic. But you look at the passage of Scripture, you find that, that what he desired was what he wanted for us is to serve him faithfully in the, in the works that he had already planned out for us. And I've always been thinking about this. He says to do good works. We're saved to do good works. That means for the purpose of good works. We're saved for the purpose of good works. We ought to be about, as we live life, making sure that we are investing in good works. What are good works? They're works that honor Him and help others. That's the essence of what we ought to be doing. It's very simple when you boil it down as, as followers of Christ. <laughs> I think that that is what our original purpose was for before our sin. God created us to have a relationship with Him. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had great works to do, wonderful works. Can you imagine naming all of the animals? And there's so many other things that was lost at the time of the fall. God has so many things that He wants us to do that are good, but because of our sin, we could no longer fulfill that purpose, and so Christ came. He came to give His life, so yes, we would have that sin eradicated. We would have Christ living in our lives through the power of His Spirit, and we would once again be in fellowship with the Almighty God. And being in fellowship with Him, okay, we're going to have eternal life because we are now in Him. But while we are here, we are created to be back doing the purpose that He originally had given us. He had prepared in advance for us, and that is to do good works. The Bible says for God to save us, He had to create us new. He had to make a new creation. And that new creation, the Scripture says, is to do good works. Also, it means that service to the high God is to be lifelong, not just a short term. The term to do basically has two meanings, and both of them are indicated here in this passage of Scripture. It means to regulate one's life by doing good works. Uh, when I regulate my life by law, it means that I live in such a way that I obey the law. That's how I regulate my life. That's how my standard is. What I live like, how I regulate it, is to follow the law. He says, what I want you to do to do good works is basically you get that done. That's how you regulate your life. Your mind is always, how can I serve the Lord? How can I invest in the life of others? It, it, it's never over here to, to do us individually. It's always about ministry and service to others, which is exactly what Jesus 
did for us. Secondly, it means to do good works for the rest of my life. It's not a shallow decision, but a lifelong commitment. Jesus said in Luke 14, 33, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. In other words, there's no reason for you to have one foot in the, in the, uh, the world and one foot in the in the spiritual life, because you can't do it. I need a total commitment. I need you to, to read the fine print and check the box when you sign it to say, I want Christ as my Savior. Because that's what he expects. In other words, it's total. It's lifelong decision. And so we need to count the cost. And Jesus talked about that in um, several verses in the 14th chapter of Luke. Counting the cost. Gave two beautiful illustrations of that. So this means that he saved us for himself. That's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? You ever thought about that, really? Salvation is important because it's not an end in itself. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we no longer live for ourselves. We can't find salvation in ourselves. We can't accomplish a whole lot by ourselves. In fact, the scripture says that uh, unless you're grafted in, you can accomplish nothing. You can't bear fruit. If you're not grafted in. But he said, <laughs> it was very simple. No longer live for themselves, but for him. So he saves us so we could live for him and be his servants. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, he says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansed our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. That's what he wants. He wants us to serve him in a capacity that is so beyond anything else, even above the angels. When you serve the Creator... You are in the place that every other part of creation, if they had a thought, would want to be. You see, God wants companionship. He wants fellowship with each one of us. He wants it in every aspect of our lives, in our prayer life, in our Bible studies. Uh, he wants it in our fellowship time. He wants to be engaged in every aspect of our life but most importantly he wants that intimate relationship it was our sin that broke that christ has sacrificed that we might have it back once we give our life to christ and so he continues to want that kind of relationship even in the relation of being his servants my friends even as servants we have more freedom with god than anyone away from him without him, even though they think they're free. 
That's why, that's why when you have a relationship with Christ and you're not totally on track with what he wants you to do, you just kind of have this feeling that something's not right. Things have not aligned exactly right. And it, it has nothing to do with the things that we face in life. Because every, every single person is going to have challenges in life. You're going to have grief. You're going to have suffering. And that's just a part of living. But you can have that inner peace and inner joy that only He can give, no matter what life circumstances are, if you are striving to be the servant that He wants you to be, that you have that relationship with Him. Third, we are servants because the Most High asks that we give our lives to Him in service. Now, God's asking is in the nature of a command. I'll tell you this, when I was growing up, when my dad would say, Kirby, would you take out the trash? Would you go and let the dog out? Would you go and mow the lawn? I knew that he was asking, but I better get it done. It was, in essence, a command. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you just read part of it, it says, be my witnesses. It almost sounds like this asking, but, but really, Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses. He said, this is what I want you to do. It, it is imperative. It means you must be my witnesses. It should become the very first priority in our lives. It, it should become a lifestyle for us as we go about our daily task. This should be the priority. A few weeks ago, I had a uh, termite inspection, and, uh, which we do on an annual basis, and uh, my technician was Andrew. Andrew came, and he did our outside, he did our inside, and I <coughs> asked Andrew, I said, Andrew, probably about 29, maybe 30, I said, uh, are you a church-going guy? And he looked at me and he said, well, I grew up in church in Texas. In fact, my mom still plays the piano at the Baptist church that we went to. I said, well, then I, then I know that you grew up in a, in a good Bible-believing church. I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he said, uh, yes, I accepted Christ when I was young, and I was baptized. And I said, how long have you been here? And he said, well, I've been here just a handful of years. And I said, well, have you found a church here? He said, no, I really haven't. You know, every so often I'll go with a friend of mine to, to their church, but I haven't really settled in that direction. So I said, well, how about this, Andrew? Um, let me get your address or kind of the, the, the streets close to where you are. And how about if I send you two really good churches that are close to you that you could kind of engage in and, and see if you like either one of them. They'll be different, you know, different formats so that you can kind of pick and choose. He said, okay. So he gave me a cell number and I found those two churches and I, the next day I texted to him and I said, here, here are two churches. They're great churches. Both of them are, but they're very different in their formats. Uh, so I would encourage you to try that. And I got a text back from him. He said, thank you. And he said, I do appreciate it. Do I know if he went or not? No, I don't know. But I did my part. And that's taking just a simple technician who's coming to my house. Somebody that I have opportunity to just talk with. And be able to ask some questions, to share my faith, and to see where they are spiritually 
try to help however I can. It's a simple process. Sometimes we get scared of the term, you will be my witnesses, when in reality it just means investing in their life, sharing what Jesus has done, and maybe just planting seeds, just encouraging them in difficult times. Doesn't mean hitting them over, head, over the head with a Bible or anything. Doesn't have to be hard. But you plant those seeds. And, and God in his providence continues to put people in their steps of life to encourage them. Still going to be their decision. But we have to, we have to follow the command, the imperative, to be witnesses with whatever we do. Because you know what? We have a responsibility. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 7, he's talking in Old Testament terms for a very specific thing, uh, but I think it applies to us in this way. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. Now, a watchman was one that would watch on the walls. And they would look for any enemy that might be coming in. They might look for a messenger who might be coming, or an alert of some kind. It was basically watching and crying out, saying, this is what you need to do, town. A man got a job as a, a night watchman in a factory. And uh, that factory had had a lot of things stolen during the night shift by the workers. And so they decided, we'll have this night watchman, and uh, you'll kind of go through this, this area, and, you know, your job is to check everybody. We've got to stop these losses. And so first night came, and, uh, man, everything was going well. And uh, then this guy came, and he was willing to wheelbarrow with all these newspapers. And he thought, ah, <laughs> he thinks he's getting something by me by putting it underneath the newspaper. So he had him stop, and, and he... Looked at the newspapers, there was nothing underneath. He thought, still thought, that is really suspicious. So he asked the guy, he said, so uh, what's going on here with the newspapers? He said, oh, well, I make extra money by recycling. And so I go into, uh, into all the lounges and, and where the lunchroom and all of that, and, and at the end of the day, I grab up all the papers and I bring them so I can, you know, make a little extra money, feed my family. He said, okay. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch you. <laughs> And so he did. The next day, same thing. The guy had all these papers in a wheelbarrow, and off he went, nothing under him. And this happened day after day, month after month, and finally, after almost a year, the night watchman came in, and he had a message to go talk to a supervisor. And so he went in, and uh, before he could get a word out of his supervisor, the supervisor said, you're fired. And he said, Wait a second, why am I fired? I haven't done anything. <clears throat> he said, you failed. We ask you very simply to stop the stealing going on. He said, there has not been one person who has stolen anything. I've checked their bags, I've checked their pockets, I've, I've checked everything. And the supervisor looked at him and said, then how do you explain the loss of 365 wheelbarrows this last year? <laughs> We're supposed to be watchmen. The watchmen on the wall. Well, we are if we can focus our attention upon being faithful in God's service. Listening to Him. Not just part of it, but everything that He is telling us. 
He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be alert. He wants us to be informed. And He wants us to compassionately care for people that come across our path and those that He lays upon our heart and our mind. He wants us to sacrifice for the benefit of others. We all have rights. But He's saying, I want you to give up your rights so that you can touch the lives of those that don't have a relationship. Or those that may have a relationship, but it's kind of off track, and I want you to gently help them to get back on track. That's what his desire is. Those who live by us, those who we are in clubs with, our friends, our family. Because listen, we must face our response to God's command. The scripture says in Romans 14:12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. There's going to come a time when that will happen. I wish I could explain it to you the, the way maybe others explain it, but I'm not sure how that's going to, to totally work out, but bottom line is you're going to meet the almighty holy God, and we're going to have to say, well, here's what I did with my time. Here's how I was focused upon you. And we have to give an account. We have to give an account of our actions. We have to give an account of our inactions, our potential opportunities. We must give an account, but let me say something different. There is a better reason to want to be faithful, a faithful servant of God. And that's because Jesus died for you and me. I don't, I don't want to fear my time in judgment with God. I want to concentrate on the fact that Jesus, and it's not a flippant statement that we hear all the time, but Jesus died for me. And I want to show my appreciation as best I humanly can that He has given me spiritual freedom even as I am a servant of His. But even more, I want the thrill of helping others. And isn't that what he really wants us to do? So that's where real happiness comes in, is when, when we as servants are engaging and investing in the lives of others for the glory of God. As servants of the Most High, we're to give our lives to God in service for the furtherance of the kingdom of God here and in the hereafter. And my question to you is, are you on board? Father, as we move into our time of invitation, I just specifically ask you to help us to hear your words. And Father, in our lives where there are adjustments that are needed, I pray, God, that you would help us to make those adjustments. There are a lot of people who are followers of Jesus here. They've given their lives to Christ. We want to give it to the very best. And Father, we want to end our life here strong. And so whatever years or months that might be for us, Father, we want to be the servants that you desire us to be.
and we understand the connotation. And so I pray that you will take us and mold us and make us into a vessel useful for your service. And that we'll be able to hear and watch and see deeply into the lives of others who are in desperate need to talk, to share their hurts, their pains. God, I pray that you will allow us to be your presence in their lives and that we will do it. And I pray those decisions will be made in the pew today. And I pray also that for those here today that do not have a personal relationship with you, God, I pray that your spirit would speak to them and today they would make a decision to ask you into their, into their life completely. That you can take their sin away and give you life everlasting because just living a good moral life isn't going to do it. And I pray that this morning, God, that they would make their decision in the pew or making their decision public up front. But God, today, I pray for that. If there are any other decisions, God, you move them. But help us to listen and help us to act. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing our invitation. to the men's fellowship breakfast this Tuesday at 8 o'clock. 
You don't want to miss that. It's a wonderful breakfast, I understand. And Frank Bush will be the guest speaker for that. So, man, this is your last day to sign up for that breakfast. There's also a sign-up sheet in the main lobby for a trip to the Bible Museum, which is out inside a hotel in Goodyear. We're going to take a group, and we are limited to 12 in the morning and in the afternoon. So if you want to participate in that, your name needs to be on that sign-up sheet that's in the main lobby. More specifics uh, regarding when we leave, when we will return, those kind of things, you will be given. But the first 12 for the morning and the first 12 for the afternoon will be those who we will be able to take on August the 18th. That's a Thursday out to the Bible Museum. Then on the back of your bulletin, I draw your attention to the top part, which says, and also if you've received your August Upbeat, the monthly newsletter, experience a taste of Israel. On August the 14th, excuse me, the 17th, which is a Wednesday at 4 p.m., here in the sanctuary, a Messianic Jewish group will be doing a musical presentation, one leave. And then on the 24th, Joel and Carolyn McElreath, who served for many years as missionaries in Israel will be speaking after we enjoy a dinner at 4 o'clock in the CLC. That will be an Italian-themed dinner, and there will be a need for you to purchase a ticket. Those go on sale next week. The tickets will be $7.50 per person, and we'll have the 7th, the 14th, and the 21st for you to purchase those tickets. So a lot of really interesting and good things are happening in the days ahead. On this Thursday, Lifeline Screening will be utilizing our CLC throughout the day for those health screenings. And if you want to sign up for those, you'll need to get one of the pink brochures that's on the table and call the number that's on it. Those arrangements are not made through our church office. I have asked Jerry Richards, who is our team lead for the ushers ministry. We appreciate the ushers very much. But Jerry is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer as we all stand. Father, today we just want to thank you that we can come into your church and sing praises and worship you, Father. We thank you for the freedoms we have in this country. We just pray, Father, that we can be the lights to the world, a dark world, that they'll see the lights and come to the truth. We pray, Father, that for our nation today, that we'll come back and be a nation under God. Uh, we, you, we pray for your people, the nation of Israel, Father. And we pray, Father, that you'll just guide and direct us with the Holy Spirit. And, and we pray, Father, also today that uh, we'll do the Great Commission and tell others the good news about Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Father, for the many blessings that we have. There are so many blessings that you have blessed us with. The unconditional love. You love us no matter what, Father, and especially for the cross, the blood that covers our sin, and then the resurrection on Sunday. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And Father, we just thank you for everything that we have, and we just give you the praise and glory, for we ask it in the precious name and saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. amen.